Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 26 of the Worth More podcast. I am your host, Cami Bleece, and I am beyond excited for you to be back here with me today. Whether it's Thursday and you're listening on the day this episode drops, or it's just another day of the week, I hope this podcast finds you doing so well and that you are just having an incredible day. And maybe your day is kind of meh, and you'll get to learn something in this podcast because this is going to be packed with information, y'all. I wanted to sift through and try and be able to bring to you the topic today with as much kind of information and research and insight so that you didn't have to do it yourself. And what would that topic be, of course, but sugar. I mean, for real, if you're still eating sugar, Good for you because it has been put through the ringer these days in our wellness and diet culture. And we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about what sugar actually does to us, the truth behind it, the lies behind it, what it's in, what it's called, because I want you to be able to make educated decisions about your health and to kind of know what you're getting yourself into if you choose to eat it or if you think you choose want to choose not to eat it. Whatever your prerogative, I just challenge and encourage you to be informed about those things. And that is something that I realized was kind of hard as I was researching this episode because there's so much information out there. But alas, that is why I am here for you and that is why you're hopefully listening to this episode. I cannot wait to jump in, of course, but I have to always share how I am feeling more worthy this week what that's looking like, and that has been choosing some different ways to invest in myself. As a business owner and a woman, it can be kind of hard to prioritize yourself, and I have had the opportunity to do that through hiring a coach and some different um, professional relationships that I'm getting to work on, and that's been really exciting for me because the truth is I am worthy of following my dreams. I'm worthy of learning from someone else. I'm worthy of kind of growing and moving forward throughout this process. And that's been something that was originally a little hard to admit. You know, you want to be able to do it yourself and prove that you can do this from the grassroots bootstraps kind of way. And the reality is, is there's nothing wrong with asking for help. There's nothing wrong with seeking wise counsel. And that doesn't mean that you're any more or less worthy. So I've been feeling really confident this week and just reminding myself that I'm worthy of this investment. I'm worthy of this time and you are too. So if there's something that you've been kind of holding back on because you're like, oh, I don't want to spend the money or that takes too much time, I challenge you to check if you're making that decision from a place of worthiness or from a place of worthlessness. Because a lot of the time that fear and that doubt can really hold us back. And I will be honest, it's definitely held me back before. So I'm just excited that I've started making decisions in regards to my professional career from a place of worthiness. And that is mine for this week. Now, without, of course, further ado, let's start talking about sugar. Sugar. 
Okay, I'm going to be kind of honest, y'all. Researching sugar was kind of crazy. There is so much information out there that it is so overwhelming, even as someone who is like ready to do the research, ready to learn, has been certified as a personal trainer. And I'm not saying that we did a ton of nutrition, but we learned about it some. And I also have a strong interest in this. So I have read lots of different nutrition books and it is crazy trying to sift through the information out there. And I think that you probably can agree that oftentimes there's an article to support whatever side you fall on, right? We can see this about many, many, many aspects of our lives, but sugar is one of them. You'll see an article saying it's the devil and if you consume any of it, you're going to die. And another article saying like, sugar's great and it's good that it's in everything, chill, There's no scientific evidence to prove that there's anything wrong with it. And of course, what we kind of need to assume is the truth is probably in between these two extremes. But what I want to challenge and encourage you to do is to make informed decisions, which is why I wanted to do this episode and to dig in a little bit, not near enough probably, but a little bit about sugar. And to realize that the demonization of any food group or of any food is not productive, period. And we'll get to that a little bit more towards the end when we're kind of trying to figure out more applicable um, actions, applicable actions, is that right? Who knows, that you can take in your life regarding sugar. But I want you to know that if you are the fear mongering around these foods and around the health and wellness industry is rampant and you need to realize that for the most part, this fear is completely unfounded. So make sure whatever place and position you take, you're doing your research and you're trying not to go to one extreme or the other because typically happy medium is where most of us should ultimately want to end up and we will find the most ease and peace within living a healthy and balanced life. So I kind of wanted to start with some of the basics, right? And that's like, what else is their name? Like, what else is sugar called? And you might think that that's kind of silly. I won't list all of them. But the reality is, guys, retailers are super smart. And they know that with this demonization of sugar, if they have sugar all over their labels and their packaging, you might not buy it because of that. So what do they do? Ah, they just come up with a different name or they rename it, they rebrand it, they give it a new vibe. And you don't realize that it's still just sugar. So what are some of those names? I'm not gonna even be able to pronounce some of these correctly. I apologize ahead of time. So obviously, the first and foremost is high fructose corn syrup. That is sugar, y'all. Crystal dextrose, corn sweetener, corn syrup, fructose sweetener, cane crystals, cane sugar, rice syrup, crystalline fructose, barley malt, malodextrin, maltose, and treacle are all different names for sugar. And it's like, what? Why do you have to make this so confusing? Oh, baby darlings, that is 
the food and nutrition industry, and it's so much more complicated than that, and that is why information and education is powerful. So realizing, first and foremost, that there are going to be different names for sugar. So if you are trying to create awareness in your life about the types of sugar you're consuming and the amounts of sugar you're consuming, understanding that it's going to not all be just labeled quote, quote, sugar is a great place to start. From there, I kind of wanted to share some interesting places that sugar is in. So often when someone's like, oh, I'm not eating sugar, I'm being good, quote, quote, bleh, don't even get me started on being good with your food. But when it comes to sugar, it's kind of sneaky and it gets added in to a lot of things. So if you're someone who's been trying to operate from a no sugar, low sugar diet, did you realize that there is sugar put in ketchup, pasta sauce, table salt, salad dressing? It's added into dried fruit, which already has natural sugar in it. Meat sauces, protein bars, almond butter, peanut butter, wheat bread, yogurt, and the ever amazing green juices. Sugar is added into so many things, things that you think and are telling yourself, oh, I'm being good, so I'm going to drink this green juice, without realizing you should have just opted for the milkshake at that point if you're really going to look at it from a sugar-based perspective. Because the truth of the matter is, like I said earlier, retailers and marketers are smart, and they know if they make something look healthier, you're going to perceive it as healthy. But I've got some tips for you towards the end again of this podcast to make sure that you know how you won't be duped if you are trying to just be more aware of your sugar consumption. Obviously, on top of that, we know that sugar is going to be in a lot of our baked goods, sweets, and desserts, and all that good, delicious stuff. That is sort of a given, but I wanted to share some other things that you might not realize sugar was in. So how does sugar actually affect our bodies? You eat sugar, what's happening? Well, there's a few different things or reactions that happen with our body when we eat sugar. One, it spikes your insulin, which basically tells your hormones to store it in fat cells. And if you are over consuming what your fat storage needs, it can be an element of weight gain. So that's kind of anything. If you are over consuming what your body naturally actually needs, then that can be a contributing factor to weight gain. Not just sugar, but sugar, the way that it affects your insulin and your fat cells is part of it. It can actually change the microbiome of your digestive tract and skin, which can cause inflammatory diseases such as Crohn's and IBS. It is a stimulant that can interrupt your sleep and your natural circadian rhythms. And it actually can kind of affect your sort of energy levels because of the way that it increases and decreases your blood sugar levels. So you kind of, your brain sort of goes on this kind of high because of the increase of sugar. And then from there, it's going to come back down. This is all based on your blood sugar levels, which obviously sugar is a very high contributing factor to this. Refined carbohydrates and fruit that turn into sugar will also cause these types of spikes. So this isn't like tons of what you're eating is causing your blood sugar levels to rise and fall throughout the day. That's just natural. Um, Sugar is 
just one of those elements. So it can actually kind of cloud your mind, making it challenging to think clearly and easily process information, which I mean, that can be frustrating for any of us working all the way through the day in the middle of the day who wants to have a cloudy mind. And because sugar can create an inflammatory response within your body, it can cause skin irritations like breakouts. So sometimes if you're seeing a lot of those small white bumps typically found on your forehead and your cheeks, those can be triggered by an overeating of sugar. Now, these are just some of the different ways that sugar can sort of affect your body. I want to also, though, talk about how it doesn't affect your body. And this is where a lot of the misinformation and a lot of the kind of demonization of sugar starts to go. So we get this idea of a sugar rush, right? That, oh my gosh, if I eat all this sugar, I'm going to have all this energy and then I'm going to come crashing down. So as I was saying earlier, it can affect your blood sugar levels, but what it doesn't do is affect your mood. So people think they're going to get this sugar high and they're going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy and I'm pumped and I'm excited and blah, blah, blah. Studies have found that there has virtually no effect on your mood, regardless of how much sugar is consumed or whether people are engaging in demanding activities after taking it. Now, people who did consume sugar felt more tired and less alert than those who had not. So the idea of this sugar rush is a myth because you're not having an effect on your mood. All it's really doing is actually making you more tired and less alert after eating it. And that's because the way that your blood sugar levels are rising and dropping. It's not going to give you this insane burst of energy like we're promised. It's actually going to have more of an effect as your blood sugar levels are dropping, making you more tired. So when you're kind of thinking like you're getting this sugar rush, this sugar high, that's not true at all. Um, this That research was done by Professor Elizabeth Mailer from the University of Warwick. I will be honest with y'all, a ton of the research that I found was over in the UK, and that is because they have pretty stringent and strict food laws, and there's a lot of research being done over there. And I wasn't trying to only read those types of articles, but a lot of it was coming from them, which I just kind of found really interesting. So the next thing that food doesn't do, it isn't addictive. Now this might be kind of like making you pause for a second because how often have you heard sugar's addictive? Sugar's addictive, oh man, you start on sugar, and you're going to be addicted. Research has shown. Research has shown. But the truth is, research did not show that. And the what it did show, the truth that they shared is kind of in a vacuum. What do I mean by that? So basically, similar to drugs, food does light up the pleasure centers of our brain. So that is accurate. But so does laughing or seeing the face of a loved one or having sex. These are all things that light up the pleasure center of your brain. And food is meant to be pleasurable because it keeps us alive. And if food didn't light up those centers, there would be something wrong legitimately. Because if you weren't excited to eat and didn't feel like eating, you're not going to eat 
and then you die, (laughs) right? There has to be a chemical response that makes your body and your mind want food. That is why food actually affects the pleasure centers of your brain to keep you alive. So I will clarify this and say that the feelings of being addicted to food are real. And I know that a lot of you may feel that way. I have felt that way. But the research actually suggests that this feeling is a result of deprivation. So in other words, this chronic dieting creates a brain chemistry that suggests we're essentially starving, which then can create the experience of feeling addicted to this food. And this kind of happens regardless of your body size or weight loss or anything like this if you're losing weight. That doesn't apply here. It's showing that deprivation can lead to feelings of addiction. So I want to kind of note in the study that a lot of people use, obviously this study was done on rats because they have the closest kind of, there's some different genes or something. Somebody explained this to me very briefly that that's why we can do studies on rats as there are certain things that are very similar in humans, which is crazy. But anyways, basically What isn't really shared from this is that the rats were starved. They had not been fed any amount of glucose or sucrose in days. And then they were given this sugar mixture that was highly concentrated. And the ratio of that weight to sugar is kind of like a person being given an entire liter of Coke and drinking it in one sitting. That's how much sugar liquid they were given after being starved. And this is not the same, the sugar liquid that they were given, similar to Coke, is not the same as sugar occurring naturally in food or even baked goods where there's fiber and other ingredients. It's just a sugar liquid. So think about it this way, essentially. Let's say you have a piece of cake. Your reward system in your brain, your pleasure center in your brain activates. Now, have that same piece of cake after being starved for a week, and then, oh, I don't know, have four more pieces, your brain is going to have a major response. And that is why these rats had such an intense response to the sugar, because they had been starved and then were given a very high and extreme amount. So they essentially made cause or causation where there was actually just a correlation And the main argument is that since sugar has elicited such a strong response in the same places of the brain that cocaine does, they must be comparable. But that is a huge leap and a huge jump to then suggest that sugar is as addictive as cocaine. And you're learning all of this in a vacuum that is choosing to leave out other really important information. So I read this from studies based... um, and research done that was shared by two people that I really respect and follow on Instagram, which you can check out. One of their names is Dr. Colleen Reichman, and the other is Holy Healed. I've talked to her about her before. Both of them have great information. That's where I really started learning and digging in to kind of this sugar study and what's shared versus what hasn't been shared, and then what was then translated to mainstream media. So the research done shows that there's a correlation, but obviously when you break it down the way that I've kind of explained it, 
you realize that, oh, it's not as addictive as cocaine, the same way that cocaine is literally addictive, right? You're so much more complicated than that. And you to then just pass out the headline, sugar is addictive as cocaine, is just misinformation and demonization of a food. So the next kind of thing I want you to realize is we aren't eating as much sugar as we used to. And like I said earlier, I looked a lot into the UK, but there are some statistics about the US as well. And it shows that in the UK, there's actually been a 79% decline in the use of sugar since 1974. And instead, or like instead, or I keep wanting to say instead, not intake, the intake of sugary drinks, which was one of the key sources of sugar in today's diets, has only been captured from 1992 and has since fallen 43% since then. Now, even in the U.S., currently the world's largest per capita consumer of sugar, use of all caloric sweeteners is currently on on par with the levels that were shown in 1985, having fallen from a high in 1999. So there's a graph that we often see that shows this ever increasing sugar, but the graph often uses that is often used as evidence stops a full 20 years ago. So the levels in which we're eating are closer to 1985, the highs and the ever increasing rates that were shown stop at 1999. So you're seeing that what's being quoted is no longer current and no longer accurate, but it doesn't align with the message that people want to get across. And it's human nature to want to blame someone or something for human ills. But sugar has had, I mean, they've been run through the ringer. It's been labeled as toxic, addictive, a metabolic poison, driving all of us to an early grave. But the truth is, sugar is just sugar, neither good or bad, but simply another dietary component that can be consumed in moderation without guilt or worry. The reality that it kind of comes down to, and what I want you to be able to take from this episode, is the realization that fearing this food and fearing this food, I don't want to call it a food group, but this food, what is this, ingredient, is not long-term productive or healthy. Yes, there are things that sugar does to your body that isn't optimal. But if you are not guzzling sugary foods from morning until night, then you don't need to worry so much. Now, yes, there are people that are eating a very high amount of that sugar. That's a whole different topic. So how can you decide for yourself what is and isn't the right amount? Of course, everything comes down to moderation. But moderation is subjective and it's sort of what rings true for you. Because wouldn't you agree that the second you tell yourself you're not allowed to have anything anymore, that's all you freaking can think about? That is the restrictive, disordered eating mentality that makes us feel like we're addicted to foods. That is how it's connected. But it's this disordered eating that has lied and told us that you're now addicted, you have no self-control, and you're Now trying to trust diets and other people to tell you what your body needs. When your body can actually do that, it can tell you that. 
but you've become so disconnected from it, you don't believe it anymore. And there's a lot of fear in giving up that sense of control by following a diet or by eliminating food groups. You feel like you're in control. And if you say, I'm allowed to eat these things, you don't trust yourself to eat them within moderation. I get it. I've been there too. But now, allowing myself to eat sugary foods, to have alcohol or to have carbs has lessened the addictive feeling that I used to have towards them. It's lessened the lack of self-control that I've had towards them. And I actually have been able to have them more in moderation. Now, of course, there are seasons where you will eat them a lot more, you'll eat them a lot less. That's just life. But fearing a food and fearing a food group is not healthy mentally or physically. So you need to realize that demonizing it isn't productive. So how can you integrate it back into your life in a healthy, positive way? The biggest key thing that I want you to start doing is reading your food labels. This is so important and why earlier in the episode I shared with you different foods that had sugar added to them. You would never think that there would be a reason to put sugar in pasta sauce, but for some reason, it's there. So now it's on you as the consumer, as the customer, to take initiative of your own health and read your food labels. Be aware of what you're choosing to ingest in your body. That doesn't mean I don't have Haagen-Dazs chocolate peanut butter ice cream in my freezer right now, y'all. Trust me, I do. But I'm very aware of what that food is filling in my life and what it isn't. And when you can approach your food that way and say, I'm not trying to find the healthiest form of ice cream. I'm trying to find ice cream that satisfies the craving that I really enjoy and isn't a band-aid over a disordered eating habit that I'm choosing to ignore. But if I'm going to eat pasta sauce, I want it to be full of tomatoes and garlic and onion and herbs. I don't want sugar in that. So that is where I'm asking you to read your labels. Take the time to think about, wow, I just go and buy all these things thinking that I'm making healthier decisions when really they're not as productive as I would have hoped. So I challenge you to read your labels. Be aware of what you're consuming. Not to the point to where you fear it or you get overly obsessive, right? That's not balance. That's not peace, but you do have the power to be aware and to make that decision for yourself. You might not think I should be eating that ice cream, not your plate, not your business, but I've made that decision for myself, educated and at peace. And that's what I want for you. So the next time you see an article that now fat is the worst thing that we could be consuming or dairy is the worst thing we could be consuming or bread is again the worst thing we could be consuming, take the time to figure out what actually works for you. Does dairy upset your stomach? No. You can probably keep eating it. Do you enjoy having a sandwich a few times a week and you feel energetic and happy? great. Keep eating bread. We want to have these ways of fearing food so that we feel more in control. But really, food is an inanimate object and every person is different. 
So the way that it affects your body is going to be different than your friend, your sibling, your spouse, your coworker. So you have to decide that you're worth the effort and the energy it takes to learn for yourself. That is the process of intuitive eating, is taking the time to get connected with what actually works for you, not what Diet 101 said will work for you. And that's why believing that sugar is now the end-all be-all and fearing any time that it could possibly be in your diet will leave you miserable, hungry, and unhappy. So yes, there are definitely things that sugar does to our body that isn't always ideal. But as long as you are consuming it within a way that feels balanced and isn't disordered and gives you joy, then you can keep consuming it. And I know that that feels really like intangible, but that's kind of the reality of food and eating and how we're each uniquely created. You can't just say this one thing is bad. It's so much more layered than that. And sugar is just the latest demon in the news to make you freaked out. So relax, but actually choose to take a step towards understanding what you're eating. And that starts with looking at your food labels. So I encourage you to do that. Maybe you'll be surprised if you see a food label and you're like, holy crap, I had no idea that this is what I was eating. Let me know. I'm super curious. Trust me. That's how I figured out there was sugar in the pasta sauce I was buying. And I was really surprised by it. So if that happens to you, let me know. If there's another food group or ingredient that you want to learn more about or you want to learn even more about sugar, let me know as well. If you enjoyed this episode or found something that you learned, share it with a friend, leave a review. I would love to hear from you. And until next time, I hope you have an incredible day. Bye, y'all.